Welcome to another episode of Social PR Secrets. My name is Lisa Bayer, and I'll be your host. Today's guest is Kevin Milani. He is a Google Ads expert, to say the least. And you might be asking, what does a public relations expert need to know about Google AdWords and why does it matter? In this episode, we're going to share why it matters and why it's important to even know the basics and to interact with a PPC team when you're in the public relations field or any type of marketing communications. One of the biggest mistakes we find is that marketing teams, including public relations, don't communicate with each other. If you don't have the insights of what's happening in PPC, Google ad campaigns, Bing ad campaigns, you're really missing out on some great research and great insights. Let me know what you think of this interview with Kevin and namaste. Hi, and welcome to another episode of Social PR Secrets, the podcast. My name is Lisa Beyer, and I am here with Kevin Milani. Actually, I'm going to say the award-winning Kevin Milani. And we're here to talk about Google AdWords. Actually, now it's called Google Ads, right? Yep, and, that's right. And um, officially, yeah, and, and more. So, Kevin, welcome. Hey, thank you. Thank you so much. T- tell us a little bit about your, um, first of all, your award that I'm referring to that um, was very impressive. Um, so, oh man, there's actually been quite a few. <laughs> so, uh, I, I think uh, one of them was in Q1 2019, we were the, uh, we, our agency had the top skill score in the Americas uh, for Google Ads, um, which was a really big deal. Um, so that was like a, a big feather in the cap on that. And I think also within the mastermind community, I also won attendee of the year uh, on my first year in the mastermind community, which we're both part of, which was like, that for me was an epic moment in my life because like you're surrounded by some very, very talented people and they're all doing amazing things. So I was like pretty blown away by that. And uh, so those are two, two of the many things that have happened in the last few years that have been pretty epic for me. Yeah. Well, that actually shows like two, you know, very, um, so it shows like how, expert you are when it comes to Google ads, right? Yep. And it also com- shows how um, extroverted you are with um, in mastermind communities like Baby Bathwater, where it can be intimidating and you do yep. a great job at getting to know everybody and being very personable. And so usually like when somebody's in kind of the Google AdWords, you know, you see that they're more introvert than extrovert and you're like a little bit of both, which is awesome. You've got that techie side and you've got that really awesome personality side. It's actually true because like you think about, it, I'm working 12 to 16 hours a day behind my computer. So I'm like always craving that I'm an extrovert by nature, but I'm, I am totally living an introverted life because I'm, I'm just interfacing with the machine all day long. So yeah, it is really weird having that balance. The fact that I was attracted to AdWords at all is pretty amazing. Yeah. Tell us about that. How did you get started with Google AdWords and and where are we today with it? Oh yeah. So that was 15 years ago. Now I was, um, I was in uh, Ohio and I was uh, studying theology and philosophy after leaving New York city where I was working for a marketing think tank uh, that specialized in direct mail and direct response and traditional sort of marketing. And uh, when I um, was in Ohio, I ended up with a, a getting a job at an online dating site named catholicmatch.com. And when I found that, when I got that job, I was like, wait, I really like this. This is what I want to do when I grow up. I was like 29 years old. And so, so I did that and found, um, my uncle gave me advice back then. He said, just find something that you enjoy doing and be, you know, become an expert at it. And I just changed that in my mind. I just made the commitment to myself. I want to be the best in the world at this. And so for me, it was my Olympic sport. It was my thing that I wanted to be really, really good at. And I dedicated myself to that for yeah, the last 15 years. And that's how I ended up just putting everything I had into that one thing and didn't have a life, didn't have anything else. But now I can have a life because I finally have reached these goals and, and things are going really, really well for me and my agency. Yeah, that's awesome. So 
I mean, looking back 15 years ago, you know, I can remember when, um, you know, Google ad, ad certification came out and Google yeah. Analytics certification and everybody was, you know, trying to figure it out. And a lot has changed in the past 15 years. I am not a Google ad expert. Um, I just, um, you know, as part of a PR strategy, I like to understand what's happening yeah. on the AdWords side of things, um, on the PPC side of things, let's say. So not just Google, but also Bing and, you know, maybe anything else that has to do with, um, with, with paid digital advertising, because I think that it really helps um, understand if what's working on the paid side, it can help on the PR side. So tell us a little bit about like the changes, the revolution of, of oh. Google ads and like, where are we today? Like, what are some of the things that are just critical today? So the, probably the thing that trips up most people is the fact that attribution has gotten so messy. Um, it's a long time ago when we first started, we, we used last click attribution a long time ago and it worked great and you could directly measure a click to a sale. But then, you know, people started having multiple devices and so you, you have, and we can't like, you mobile, tablet, desktop, multiple computers, and that made it messy. And then you ended up with other channels like Facebook and, you know, a whole bunch of other digital channels. And then that made it even more messy because they were seeing your, your ad on multiple platforms and clicking through. So you have no idea which platform is, you know, converting. And a lot of the people that have been around since the early days are tripped up by it because they're so used to, and they so want to be able to directly measure and correlate the click to the sale. And they end up cut, you know, so they end up, they end up wondering over the years, like, why don't I have as much volume as I did back then? because they're doing like last click attribution and all the only thing that wor works for them now is brand because that's all they're, they're giving all the credit to brand and remarketing. And so they're not able to run traffic to the top of the funnel because they think it's not working when it really is actually working. It just, they have to update their mind model. They have to update how they do things and start looking at the overall, you really have to look at your overall business and overall profitability. It's more, a lot more like what traditional media has been forever. Like the digital marketers have to get used to a world that's a little bit more like what the traditional marketers have to deal with, with TV and radio and stuff. So what does that mindset look like? What are some, what do, what do they have to take into consideration now besides, and just for everybody's basic knowledge, just maybe just explain what, attribution means because we have a, a PR oh, yeah. audience that might not be in this world and, and, you know, should be, should be part of it. So I don't want to intimidate anybody. Oh, that's good. Um, so attribution basically is if someone's clicking on your ad, like say they click on a Facebook ad and a Google ad, like who do you give the credit to? Do you give it to the Google like brand search that they just clicked on or, or, but, but they came originally from Facebook. So at, there are different attribution models. One that I really like is position-based and it says give, so if they clicked on Facebook first, I'm gonna give them 40%, you know, half the credit. And then the brand search from Google, I'm gonna give half the credit. And, and like they both get half credit because they both contributed to that sale. Um, the model a lot of people are really comfortable with uh, who have been around forever is that last click, but it's like the most terrible model for scaling or for doing anything really, because um, it's giving the the full credit to the very last click that brought them, which is typically a remarketing or brand search campaign. And so anything you like Facebook would get very little results in that. It would look like Facebook isn't working with the last click model. And a lot of Google cold search and display and YouTube would look like they're not working too. And so you would never run them and then you're never be able to grow your business on a digital channel because of that. So it's an extremely important thing that's just difficult for people to wrap their minds around. Sometimes, um, you know, with different clients, I'll look in Google Analytics and it, I can't remember what they call it, but it's, um, it's not last click, but it's um, where you can see the journey of like where social... Oh, the the path. Yeah. yeah the, the path. And the I think that that's, report. I think that that is, you know, interesting and, and important to, to show that you can see, okay, what, what took place in this journey? Yes. Here is, here is where the, the conversion happened, but in order to get to the conversion, you know, they did a, you know, came in direct, they came in through social, they 
gun came in through. How, what is your feeling? Do you think that that's um, a good report to look at? Yeah, la that report is great. Um, it's all of the rest of analytics outside of the attribution reports, like the path report, is all last click. Mm -hmm. And a lot of people use analytics, but it's not very helpful <laughs> for figuring out where to put your media spend. Like if you're trying to decide, I mean, I've had clients do that. Like years ago, I had a client in the direct mail space who it was like, hey, this, you know, he, he liked to look in his analytics. And he was looking at the revenue and he's like, this thing isn't driving any revenue. Like, let's just shut it off. And it was like a pretty decent amount of spend. But in AdWords, you could see that it was driving like leads and sales and stuff. So anyway, we were forced to turn it off. And then the next month, he's like, why did my revenue go down? You know, his revenue was down by 50%. Yeah. And he thought he was just cutting stuff that was just waste, but it actually was driving half of his revenue. Yeah, so, yeah. Like a huge, huge error on his part to force us to do that. But yeah, he learned. <laughs> <laughs> and then for us, we just have to like, essentially with the client, you just basically have to say, hey, this is what will happen if you do this. And I'll, I'll like tell them up front, they insist on doing it, they do it, then they see that I was right a month later, and they're like, okay, let's go back to the way it was. But like, it was kind of a painful learning experience because you, you, know, you end up like losing that much in sales. Yeah. So when it comes to um, keywords, and we talked a little bit about this before we started the interview, just about keywords and, and how you can actually use some of the information that you're getting from PPC and Google Ads as, as like insights. So how can, from a marketing and public relations perspective, that if you're not on the front lines of PPC, how can PPC actually help with your PR campaigns, let's say? Okay, so one thing that's really interesting about um, AdWords that I started to do for research purposes, um, and I don't think I've ever seen anyone else do it. Uh, we basically, you can take a small search campaign where you do modified broad matching keywords like find, what, where, near, like these keywords. So you can like find out what people are looking for online and you only run those ads, you know, you only target those keywords for people that are in your, your remarketing audience. So it's like target and bid on your remarketing audience. And then you, if you have a large enough audience, it'll work because then you'll start to see all these words that all these search phrases that your own customers are using. And it's just like leads to all sorts of really interesting insights into who your customers are and including things that like, oh, they have an interest in this. Oh, we could actually like utilize this in PR. We can utilize, we can write articles about this. We can, um, we can actually run traffic campaigns against this. So it's a fantastic way to get research. I would just run, I would typically run those campaigns like at just a small $50 a day spend or something the overall, my overall account might be spending 10, 15, $20,000 a day, but of this low $50 budget that is just driving, basically it's research. Yeah. Learn more about my customer, you know, who my audience is. Definitely. Definitely. So, and everybody kind of thinks of, as of Google ads as, you know, bottom of funnel, you know, conversions and where do you, where does it fit? What do you advice you give for top of the funnel? How do you use Google ads for top of the funnel? So you have a couple different methods. You can do cold search. Um, uh, shopping will get you some top of funnel. Uh, YouTube has been huge for us uh, the last two and a half, three years. Uh, we've been doing massive volumes on YouTube, uh, running about three to $4 million a month on YouTube, you know, across all of Google with probably 90% of it being YouTube or 80, 80, 90%. Um, so YouTube is really, really good. The video is extremely important with YouTube though. You have to get the video created right for it to work. Um, and then you have display. Display is challenging because it takes a huge amount of data and learning to get it to a point where it's optimized and scaled. Um, smart displays, their machine learning, uh, usually you have to teach the account quite a bit before that'll work. Um, and the regular display, like manual display that you can use to teach the account, the issue with it is there's a lot of like click fraud and all sorts of things. So you can end up, like if you have a lead gen campaign, you can end up with a whole bunch of bad leads, like really low quality leads, but within it, there are some good leads. So there's a real art and science to figure out how to 
get the, the display campaigns to give you just the good leads and cut out all the bad. So there's a lot of that has to do with tracking uh, how to set up analytics and tracking um, correctly. And so, and that's another big thing. We, we have a guy on our team who's just specializes in analytics and tracking. He's also a shopping guy. His name's Simon. But Simon does, um, every, you know, every single account he has to like go look into and analyze it and figure out, you know, if it's, you know, are they, you know, is this, when we get a new client, are they double counting conversions? Because you'll see that. Sometimes they'll be completely missing conversions. Sometimes they'll not be getting revenue data into the back into the system. And uh, just about every single account we ever look at has issues. Sometimes they're really small things, but they matter. Other times they're just like, oh my gosh, these guys are quadruple or quintuple counting their conversions. So they think things are working really well when actually they're probably losing a huge amount of money. Yeah. So. What are your What are your thoughts on um, using Google Ads for content such as articles or press releases and and driving traffic, driving eyeballs to that to those pages on your website for just top top of funnel? Yeah. So top of funnel. Actually, I we have seen about three or four years ago we had some copywriters we worked with and they created blog articles, pages like that. And um, our with the Facebook agency, we we're kind of like kind of doing some collaboration with. They're like, "Hey, you should try these article pages because they're like converting really well for us." I'm like, "Okay, that's really weird." Let I'm like, it never occurred to me like an article page could convert really well. So like, well, let's just try it and see what happens. And turns out some of those pages actually converted better than the landing pages. And so like now. When you say convert, would you just drive sales. traffic? Yeah, but what about like driving traffic, let's just say to an article page. I've seen this done with some of my clients, like they'll drive traffic to an article page. That's just say, let's just say a trending article or an evergreen article. And then they retarget that like on Facebook or yeah. they'll retarget that in another campaign in Google ads. Like for more yeah, you can create, yeah, we definitely create the remarketing audiences off of pages like that, especially ones we're driving traffic to. It does, depending on the article, some articles will actually convert really well. Their audience that we send to the page converts from remarketing, but they'll even convert directly. They'll immediately search for your company or, or that product after going to that page, or there'll be a link on the page. And so you'll see a lot of direct conversions off of it when, it, when it's working really well. And I've seen some of those pages work better than landing pages. And awesome. I think what I'm seeing just with, at least within the Google, within Google, it just seems like the people that are responding don't want to be sold the way we've been selling them for the last, you know, 10, 15 years. They, people are more interested in content and being in authenticity, especially you see that really with Google, uh, with YouTube. Um, the videos are working best are videos that are really authentic and content that's really like helping to inform people and, and is really trustworthy and people feel like I can trust this and this sounds really authentic and real to me and yeah those types of videos seem to be working really well and whereas a tv commercial like a standard like tv commercial like you would see on tv if you run that on youtube it's terrible <laughs> it's like, right awful. right i feel like we've been saying you know and i say we like we've been saying to our clients, we've been saying just in general, like when we're giving presentations, you know, and, and giving these types of, of tips, whether it's public relations or whether it's, you know, for, for YouTube ads, that it's better to be authentic, real and raw yep. and versus highly produced, like you just, the example you just gave as a commercial. But it just seems like everybody says that, but most, there's still a lot of brands out there that are just very laser focused on getting things perfect and then never going live with anything, never publishing, never having that video that it's just always on the cutting room floor. Yeah. And it's really sad because like they'll, they'll edit out mistakes. I know my, my friend Tom Breeze, he, he had this great example of a, of a video ad that they ran where they cut out like the guy talking to the camera, you kind of like tripped over his words. They edited that out. But he had the brilliant insight to be like, hey, let's try it with that in. And they, when he put it back in, the video with the, in, with the mistake in it did way better than the other video. 
And I've seen that too with some of my clients where like in the first five seconds of a YouTube video, you have um, a chance to get someone's attention. Like one of my clients, their best video is the, uh, the person on the screen kind of like, wait, hey, where is this? Like mm -hmm. he's, he's like intentionally making a mistake that looks right. like he really made a mistake. Right. And it catches right. your attention and that video crushes it. Yeah. Isn't it, um, is it GoPro that they did that user generated campaign where it kind of starts out like they're kind of like making a mistake at the beginning. Like, Hey, you there. I, th I think it was oh, I missed that one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think it was them, but yeah, like I, I just love those too. Um, and then I was just wondering, you know, I'm coming at this, like just from, you know, organic public relations and then how to leverage, um, you know, ads on top of it and make yeah. sense and, and, you know, make it so that it's amplifying the public relations content or news or, um, something that's going to get them a little bit more exposure. Um, and I get this a lot. I'm just wondering your opinion. So I, I ha had a client say to me, um, oh, the reason why our organic has gone up over the past year is because of how much we've spent on Google ads. Oh, yep. Yeah, I actually on search. So this What's is your take on that? I've actually seen this a whole bunch of times. Um, the way I run my search campaigns is probably true, true to a lesser degree to other people. I have huge number of exact match terms and these exact match keywords, when I run them for about one to two months, it's just, it gives us, it seems to give a signal to the organic side of Google that these keywords are relevant to the site. And I've seen traffic double or triple organically after doing that, even after I, sh you know, and then it doesn't, we can actually shut down a lot of, cause usually I'll end up pausing out ad groups or pausing out keywords over time. So a good number of those keywords end up being paused out cause they don't convert well enough for us. But the organic captures a lot of that and starts to give them organic traffic. So it's a pretty, pretty interesting thing that just happens um, as a side effect of how I do things. It's not really what I'm trying to do, but it just happens and it's just like a nice bonus for the yeah, client. Yeah, that's definitely a, a bonus, definitely. Um, so when it comes to optimization and optimizing, what are some tips? I mean, I, that's my favorite word is optimization. And so optimization from an organic standpoint means, you know, making sure that content is optimized with keywords and with links so that when somebody yep. lands on the page, they're going to not just leave the page. There's other places that they can go and they can navigate to and spend more time on the site. Um, and then also influence Google search, you know, so that we're coming up in Google search. What are some, some actionable ways that somebody needs to know to optimize Google ads? Hey, so there's probably three, three kind of buckets of optimization. One would be, the, one would be the actual traffic itself. Another would be the creative and, you know, getting the alignment between the creative landing page and what the traffic was. And the third would be um, the site, the conversion rate optimization on the site. Um, all three are super important and they all really matter a lot. Um, I really, my special expertise is that traffic side. Um, and then I have a creative team at my, at my agency that handles the creative side of things. Um, but we basically, um, the traffic side, you're essentially doing a lot of testing. Mike, we do a lot of like what we call micro testing and we test with really as small a budget as you can possibly test with to learn and to figure out what works and doesn't you cut in, then you just do quick fail. You cut out the stuff that doesn't work and keep the stuff that does the stuff that hits your KPIs or key performance indicators. And you just, um, that's kind of on the traffic side in a nutshell, that's kind of what's happening. Um, but there's a huge amount of complexity within it. There's a lot of things you have to be thinking about as you're making all those decisions. Yeah. And one thing, you know, also is that whether it's organic or, um, or paid, if a site is not optimized for conversions and it's not, you know, it has issues that's like out of our control. Yeah. Right? Yeah. You're right. <laughs> yeah. We've, so, we've seen that. And uh, it's, it's sad. Cause like we, we do our best to try to help companies like that, but we're not strong or we don't build landing pages and funnels. Like that isn't our core competency. 
Um, so a lot of times if a company does, has something come to us and, and it just doesn't convert, they basically have to go figure out with someone else who does specialize in that, how do we get this thing to convert? Our expertise is really once they have something converting, we can scale it way beyond what other people can scale it. Like we yeah. can get accounts to a million to $2 million a month ad spend profitably, which is a very rare thing. Not many people, you, know, you just can't find many people that can do that. Yeah, that's awesome. That's great. Yeah, I think that, um, you know, from a from a user experience and then a conversion rate optimization experience, once they get to the site or the landing page, then, you know, you said that the, that's very important. And that's like, out of yeah. the other two things, you know, you named three things, two out of three, we have control over the third part is really out of our control. Yeah, um, we'd love it if we had more capability to like, manage the whole thing. Um, but off more often than not the client the client has control over that the whole website and the whole funnel and um and use you know sometimes sometimes you just you know over 15 years of doing this especially early on i just had to if i was handed lemons i just had to figure out how to make lemonade or put lipstick on a pig which <laughs> and i would try to figure out how to do that with traffic alone which made me really good at traffic but you know if the clients were better at the other side. It, it just, we had one client with a YouTube campaign where they increased their conversion rate by 300%. And that allowed the YouTube campaign go from like 3000 a day ad spend to $35,000 a day in ad spend because of the work they did. We were able to do better work. Yeah. That's awesome. So it sounds like you've got, you're like the king of traffic optimization. You've got that part. Yep. That's your secret sauce. So if you have someone like you having the, the, um, the traffic optimized, and then if you look at the creative, what tips can you give on the creative side that will help you do your job easier and help better help to optimize the performance? I think a lot of it is being willing to test a lot of things. Because a lot of times people, a lot of times you'll have people, especially on the client side, oh, that won't work or that will work or they'll, they'll be making guesses about what will or won't work. But what I found over 15 years of doing this is I'm always surprised at what does or doesn't work. So it's just like be open and willing to test a lot of stuff and the creative person just has to be very creative and kind of come at it from a whole bunch of different angles because you're looking for something that's just a real breakthrough because when you hit a real breakthrough, like it just opens up the floodgates. Yeah. And so how often should you be changing out your creative? Is there a standard, oh, you should change it every 30 days? Or do you leave something going if it's performing really well? Don't don't fix what's not broken type of thing? Um, so this is interesting because in the machine learning, <laughs> with machine learning and Google, what we're finding on search and display when we're running machine learning campaigns, the machine learning prefers the incumbent ad. So I, before machine learning, when everything was manual bid, I would just like constantly be AB testing ads. And once you find something that works better, you would like put it in there. Now it's just like not really possible to do this AB testing. So what you have to do upfront is do a lot, a lot more thought and creative work before you even launch the campaign. Cause you're probably going to get stuck with whatever ad is in there. <clears throat> Once it gets going, because if you run something new, oftentimes it won't get traffic. So the incumbent just will be continue winning. You would have to create a whole new campaign. Sometimes even new campaigns, Google will recognize, like it will still like prefer to give traffic to the other campaign if they're competing with each. If they're essentially duplicates, yeah, the one that's been running the longest has more leverage. So it's just, it's going to get more of the traffic. So it's really hard to be able to test new ads in machine learning, YouTube's interesting because we can pause out YouTube campaigns and then start new ones. So we're, we're, we have a constant refresh going. Like with YouTube, we want, ideally you'd want to be running three to 10 new ads every single month, which means you don't want a high production cost and you need to be able to produce them quickly. So, and fortunately low production quality videos are done really fast that don't have a lot of polish work great on YouTube. They actually work better than the stuff that is polished. So it all works out, but you need to have that refresh. You need to constantly be trying to improve the ads. The issue on one issue with YouTube on the creative side is 
you're competing against all other YouTube advertisers, they're all trying to improve their ads. So if you have an ad that's winning this year, a year from now, it's, it's potentially not gonna get any traffic, not because the ad stopped working or because it got fatigued, because that's not really happening on YouTube. The bigger issue is that you have so many other competitors that have improved their ads and you haven't improved your ad. Good point. I like that tip. We've talked a lot about Google ads. What about Bing? What's your take on Bing and what advice can you give about where does Bing oh, yeah. fit into the picture? Bing is an interesting, it's very, very different than AdWords. If you, if you run Bing the way it should be run, it can be very effective. The other thing that's really interesting about Bing is that they, they're, they're much more lax on policy. You can do stuff with your landing pages and funnels that you would never be able to do on Facebook or Google which is actually an important thing to take consideration with Bing because if you bid more on Bing, you get a lot more traffic. You can't afford to bid more unless you get better conversion rate, but you can get a better conversion rate because you can like use claims and you can say things on a Bing landing page that will drive a better conversion rate and you're not gonna get flagged for policy. Mm -hmm. So you can like, if you're really good at figuring out the copy and stuff on the page to drive that conversion, then Bing's a great resource. Um, it is possible. I had one client for a time where we were doing five or $6,000 a day and that's been on Bing and you know, for a pain product. And it was like, wow, like, that's when my eyes opened up. I'm like, there is serious traffic on Bing if you can figure out how to get a high enough conversion rate to build a bid enough to be able to get to it. Yeah, yeah. So is there certain industries or, that are better for Bing than others, certain types of businesses that just do really I think well? Anybody who has an older audience, um, Bing is definitely older. They're less tech savvy. Um, they, well, another thing that's been interesting about Bing is they tend to not price shop at Amazon. They don't tend to compare prices at Amazon as much as like Google people do. Because mm -hmm. with Google, if you have your product on Amazon and you also have like a Shopify store or something or an e-commerce site, like your Amazon price, if it's lower than your site, you're, you're, you won't get, it'll be really hard to get good conversion rates on your site because practically everybody on Google searches Amazon before they buy something. They see it cheaper there, they're going to buy it there. With Bing, you can have that lower price thing and your Bing will still, Bing will still work because so many, there's this fewer people there that will actually price shop. Hmm. So maybe they're less price sensitive too. They're older, wealthier, less tax savvy and less price sensitive. You know what's so ironic? Um, I don't know if you heard of the show. It's on Netflix called Younger. Oh, I haven't heard of that. No. So it's really funny because um, it's about this. I think she's like maybe in her early 40s or late 30s and she's trying to get a job and she's not getting hired she thinks because of her you know age that she's not as young as like right out of college so then she poses as you know somebody younger and gets the job and she's tasked with set setting up um the she's she's hired to be like the assistant to a ceo and she's tasked with setting up the ceo's twitter account and then running a couple of twitter accounts so like she's instead of going to google so it had to be like a product placement they show yep. her on bing doing these searches how how do i set up a twitter account and then like the next scene will be how do i do this and everything is being searched on bing and it's like super focused on bing so i think bing oh is gosh. trying to like totally adjust their um you know their you know their audience to get more to get more younger like the younger generation maybe involved it was really funny i'm like who at that age would be on bing like why wouldn't they show google so i just think bing was probably like product placement or something as part of the show um, I would have to agree with that. That's really funny. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And it's, it's called younger. So like, it's just, Oh so my funny. gosh. I so yeah. have to see that now. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. It's a really, it's, it's really good. Um, so I have, this is an interesting question. So, um, we have, we know people in our masterminds, brands in our masterminds that are in the cannabis industry. Yep. Um, oh, energetics is, you know, one that I work oh, yeah. with and, you know, they're will. great. Yeah, they're awesome. So we handle their social media and their public relations and some of their content. And it's a struggle because we can't, you know, advertising, social advertising and PPC is not part of the equation. It's just not available. So yep. what, where do you see that on the horizon? And what advice do you give to those types of brands that are just shut out? Not because they really do fall into that, 
it's a gray area. They're, they're kind of yeah. like getting the shaft for being, you know, lumped into this industry that they really doesn't represent their brands. Maybe they're a health and wellness brand, but they're considered, you know, the same as. Right. Yeah. Just yeah. because of an ingredient. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Um, How do you get around that or what, what do you there do? Are, there are some ways around it. What we typically end up, we end up, we have a huge number of people in the supplement space and we also done some CBD work and alcohol um, category, things like that. And in those categories, we have to do workarounds uh, oftentimes uh, where we'll run traffic to a, blo a blog site or content site that is like, that has none of the offending, the terms that offend Google in it. <laughs> and then once we have that, then we can use uh, like, there can be banner ads on the site and there would be uh, links back to the main site to purchase, but it, it's really a content play. Um, we're driving traffic to content and then we're, we're, we have tracking steps so that we can see when someone goes to the content, then they, they purchase later. We can see like, Oh, that person clicked, they saw it and then they purchased and we can capture that. Um, so that's one way around it that that's worked well for a number of our clients. So um, when you say content, so basically I just want to make sure I understand. So it's a display ad that's showing on, on the Google network somewhere, right? Yep. And it's of, let's just say the brand and it's taking, taking them from that display ad to a piece of content on the brand's website. Or no? It's normally we can't use a brand's website because there's too many offending terms and it's right. like selling the product. And a lot of times the sell of these products will cause Google concern. So it's a basically like a separate domain with a, like a blog on it or a separate do content domain. And so that domain doesn't microsite? do any sales. Like a microsite. Yeah. Okay. They're usually microsites. A microsite that's controlled by maybe the brand or a microsite. Yeah. They be... can be, it can totally be controlled by the brand. Okay. Okay, like a, I'm just making this up, but like cannabis to, today, yeah. cannabis today, I'm, if I made up that totally, that, yeah. yeah, cannabis health and wellness could be, you know, a magazine site and then it has articles about cannabis health and wellness. Yep. And we just have to make sure that there's no keywords ever on that site that are trigger keywords for the machines at Google they look for certain things and so once we know what those are then we know not to put them on the page on exactly. the site anywhere <laughs> yeah 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 that's interesting so um speaking of health and wellness so we share you and i when we're talking at um when we meet up at baby bathwater events in person but now not in person on zoom we just talk about you know our health and wellness self-care types of journeys yeah. that we're both on so Tell us a little bit about how you've been taking care of yourself over the past year and maybe some tips that you can give to other marketers out there who, um, you know, might need some tips. Oh yeah. This has been interesting. Um, yeah, it has been a bit of a journey of the last year and a half. I, uh, after trying to build a business doing that, I got really out of shape. Um, and you know, taking care of my family things, but now that I've year, year and a half, two years ago, I just, just before my 45th birthday, I was like, you know what, I'm going to make a commitment to get myself back into shape like I used to be and start to train for strongman, which is like, it's fun, but it's a little bit like not the ordinary thing. And so I've, I, I'm doing Pilates once a week. I'm doing strongman training three times a week. What is the strongman? Um, what does that explain? Strongman, that? strongman competition. I want to compete, um, which is pretty nuts, but it's going to be fun. Um, it's, you know, you're, you're taking a big old stone and lifting it up off the ground and putting on, you know, lifting, you know, 300 pound stones or you there's a thing called a log, which you take from the ground and lift, press it overhead and you know that's you know that might be like 250 pounds like from the ground up overhead um or you might be doing farmer's carries with you know 250 pounds in each hand like walking walking these things um so there's a bunch of different events uh, deadlifts and squats and things like that um it's all strength strength based and it's like a lot of natural movement um and to prepare for that i actually did six I continued to do Pilates once a week, but I started with Pilates first to kind of like get my body prepared for the next, you know, the yeah, next level smart. of training. Cause I was like, you know, cause if 
it would end it so fast if I got injured and I figured Pilates would help me to not get injured as easily. Um, and, and it worked. It was really, really good. And it's been extremely good cross training to mix the Pilates with the strength training. Um, and now I, I, oh, and then I did steady MD. I found a freaking awesome service who actually ended up becoming a client because uh, some other baby bathwire people have invested. They introduced us to them. But um, Wellness Mama on her podcast, we found out about it. So I, I joined up with SteadyMD. They have doctors that um, uh, just... Let's just spell that all, so that we know. Yeah, SteadyMD, S-T-E-A-D-Y, MD.com. The cool thing about them is like, like I was having trouble with blood pressure. I was having trouble um, when my blood work started going back south about a year and a half, two years ago. And um, within about three months of working with a functional medicine doctor that I connected with at SteadyMD, and he's now my, you know, he's my, my go-to doctor now, but uh, Dr. Danny, um, oh, and this is the cool thing. He's like, really, he works with a lot of CrossFit athletes. His wife competed in CrossFit. And so I, when I was matched to him and two others, I was like, this is so perfect because he'll understand what I'm trying to do. Yeah. And so he... Uh, like within two three months like all my blood works perfect everything's like everything's on track like all like none of my other doctors like were you know a couple of the other doctors i saw the last year and a half i made no progress like nothing was happening and it's like boom like he got it so this is like a phenomenal service and it's great because you're i you know you only have to go anywhere you just like work from home you do the blood, you know, the labs away, and then you come back and like the doctor gets them. Then we have Skype, um, Zoom session, just like we're having now, or you know, a conf you know conference, video conference. And um, so that was another big part of my journey, just figuring that out and finding a really, really good doctor. Um, and then, like for me, I'm I'm just now got into a new house in Erie, Colorado, near Boulder. Um, we just like moved last week. But my next step here is just like do what I'm going to call 202020. I'm going to start every morning 20 minutes, um, 20 minutes cardio, 20 minutes. Uh, I'll probably do Pilates, then cardio, 20 minutes, and then um, and then um, meditation for 20 minutes. And I'd like to do meditation longer, but I'll, I'll work up to that. So it just working on that building that new habit and that new routine. I love that. So um, when you talk about meditation, are there any favorite, do you use an app or sources um, it's to actually, get you started? For me, it's prayer. Um, yeah. For me, it's just meditation through prayer. Great, yeah. great. Well, I have one more question. I know we're kind of running out of time. I just was wondering what advice would you give to someone that wants to just get into Google AdWords, PPC, and they just don't know where to start? And I mean, it is overwhelming. It is adskills.com. Um, I think I have a lot of respect for those guys. They're what they teach um, will get you a lot of the ways there. The rest has to come either through knowing someone like me and or, or just through a huge amount of experience. I think the difficulty, like I was fortunate that I started when I did because my client had budget and it was less competitive back then. And so you could learn, you know, you can make mistakes and it wouldn't really cost a lot, but to actually have enough budget and to be able to learn now would be extremely hard and to be able to get the, you know, the more ad spend and the more accounts you have, the more you learn and the more experience you have, the more you learn. It's just really super hard to get the experience now versus, especially when you have a, you know, a bunch of people out there that are really, really good. Mm -hmm. And Google, Google is really weighted to the top 1%. It's a very dog-eat-dog -dog world, <laughs> or a very um, Darwinian. Mm -hmm. Google is very Darwinian. And so you have, like, the top 1% of advertisers, you know, with, you know, probably, you know, 97% of the spend. Yeah. So you basically, it's just super hard to break into that. One of the things we run into, and I'd love your opinion on this, is, you know, just basically, in general, a lot of CMOs today don't have the hands-on Google Ads experience. They're really reliant on just what somebody, you know, is telling them, whether it's an in-house person, you know, saying, you know, this is the, the cost per acquisition, this is where we need to be, or it's somebody, you know, an agency or um, a consultant. 
And what advice do you give to CMOs who don't really have the, 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 the knowledge that, you know, they have, don't have the hands-on knowledge, let's just say, and they just have to rely on somebody. What, what advice do you give to them? Like, how do they hire somebody or know who, who, what's working? Oh, wow. That's a good one. We've actually run into a couple times where the in-house SEO, the in-house person who was in charge of SEO was giving really bad advice to the, to the C-suite because they were threatened by the PPC traffic. So do not listen to an in-house SEO person because they're going to be threatened by paid search. Yeah, Because totally. it's going to make them look bad mm -hmm. um, because it's going to take results away from them. So I've run into that a number of times. Um, so that's one thing is be careful about your own internal people. You feel like you can trust them, but like that can be pretty dangerous. Um, we always, we recommend bringing in, if they are doing something internal, to bring in a consultant to do a quarterly check. I would, so that just, you have I would find someone that you can trust that's, that is an unbiased part, third party that is knowledgeable. What about... And, um, if yeah, I would totally recommend that. That would be way better than internal people who are like trying to protect their jobs. <laughs> <laughs> what is, um, you know, we've seen also Google comes in and helps run the PPC. What do you think about that? Oh. Oh, that's disaster every single time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's kind of like, you know, Facebook also has their Facebook in internal experts that you can call and get advice and they want to set up calls. But I mean, obviously, Facebook wants you to learn what Facebook wants you to do, not really what's going to be the most optimal for your business or yeah. point A to point B. And they tend to like, they tend to drive for really big ad spends out of the gate. But the issue with that is like you end up with, uh, you know, spending 30 or 100. I had one client spend $100,000 in just a couple of days and then their account was, their site was suspended or something. And like traffic did not get, like there was no time to optimize because it only ran for a couple of days and then it yeah. was off. So yeah. they lost, uh, they essentially lost $100,000 with no revenue yeah. attached to it. So um, that's like things, Alan, Google's trying to get that ad spend because that's the people that are running it. Their performance is based on how much ad spend they're, they're driving. So, and they only have, they only have like a three or six month window to drive that revenue, to drive yeah. that spend. Yeah. So they're really, they try to front load it, which in reality, I always, I always take a crawl, walk, run approach with Google, especially search and, and shopping and stuff. It was, we try to start slow. There's a Google tax period of about eight to tw eight weeks where you're paying a premium for the cost per clicks just because it's a new campaign or a new account even. And as the quality score improves and, and, and your cost per clicks come down by the end of the eight weeks, you can drop your CPA by 60 to 70%. And so by, by not over, by keeping your spend low during that period, you're not freaking out because you're losing a ton of money. And by the end of the period, it's profitable. So we kind of like go slow until it's profitable and then we ramp up. Yeah, smart. That's very it's, smart. It's way less stressful for everybody. <laughs> well, Kevin, we haven't had a chance to um, share with the audience. So tell us a, a little bit about your company that you're, you're working with and how we can get in touch with you, how we can follow you. And oh. I, was, I was very fortunate to be invited to one of your masterminds, your small masterminds. That and was cool. Aspen, I was just actually thinking about it last week. So I know your whole team and they're amazing. So tell us a little bit about where we can find you. Okay. Um, our website is mq-c.com. And we, uh, I run the digital traffic on AdWords. We have a, we do have a Facebook buyer um, that we just, he was a buyer for one of our other clients and he was really good. He was like me, but on Facebook. So I was like pretty blown away by him. Um, and he's, he's doing a lot of our Facebook stuff now and doing great work there. Um, we have a guy that's excellent at shopping. Um, so, and conversion tracking at licks. And, and then we have a creative team. And then on the other side of a, the other third of our business is actually traditional media. MQNC started in traditional media back in the eighties. So they've been doing radio, TV, print, direct mail, all that stuff for a really long time. Um, that's, all of that actually continues to work exceedingly well. There are billion dollar companies that use it. So um, I imagine your PR, you know, your PR audience probably 
you know, some of them probably work for companies like that. And then um, the digital marketers tend to just stick with digital and not go into traditional. And I think they're missing a huge opportunity. Mm. Um, and then with um, the other third of our business is crystallytics.com. Crystallytics is a data analytics company. They have the full Axiom household database file. Um, and they have up to a thousand points of data on every person in the country. And they have a massive you know, computer that can crunch the data very, very fast. Um, so they do a lot of really interesting data work, data analytics work, and we capitalize on their their technology all the time of the digital ad buying we're doing, which kind of gives us a unique advantage over pretty much everybody else out there because there's nobody else out there with something exactly like what Crystalix has. A lot of people, when we talk to them, oh, we have that, but in reality, they don't understand what we have. <laughs> Yeah, that's awesome. Well, I think the biggest message I want to get across is that you don't have to be an expert in Google Ads to to know and learn a little bit about Google Ads yep. to use it as part of your arsenal if you're in public relations, you know, a, a different type of digital marketing besides paid and work together with, you know, experts like you in in a circle and collaborate so that the best ideas come from the most ideas. And actually the collaboration part is a really good thing cuz I it drives me crazy that so many companies keep their whole marketing, all these channels in silos and there's like no communication between them. I, I'm a big advocate for like, Hey, like I want to talk to the PR people. I want to talk to the Facebook people. Like I want to get together and have all of us talk once a month, um, you know, together so we can, cause from there, like from that conversation comes brand new ideas that we would never got to alone. So it's, yeah. and not enough people do that. They just, the, and the client side, they just want to like keep everything separate. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. For And it's definitely not doing them. It's not helping. It's not helping anyone. <laughs> yeah, okay. Well, Kevin, thanks so much for, for being a guest on Social PR Secrets. And I hope I see you in person soon, but I like seeing you on Zoom. And everybody <laughs> yeah. follow Kevin and check out the show notes for all the links to some of the, the um, sources that we talked about. Thanks. Okay. Have a great day. Thanks. Bye and namaste. Bye. Thank you for listening to this episode of Social PR Secrets. If you like what you heard, check out the book on Amazon or follow our blog at socialprsecrets.com. This episode was sponsored by The Buyer Group, a social PR agency striving to keep our balance in the digital world, practicing public relations, social media, and search marketing, while occasionally drinking a glass of wine or two for the best creativity and results. Thank you all for tuning in. If you would like to get a free chapter of Social PR Secrets, go to socialprsecrets.com free.